0: We turn in God's word tonight to the book of Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, we're going to begin reading at verse 11 and reading through the end of the chapter. However, I'll ask you to keep your scriptures open before you as we'll be referring to uh, verses in Genesis chapter 7 as well tonight as well as other passages. So if you have your Bible open and ready to turn, it would be... uh, help in that regard. Uh, During the summer uh, for the past many years uh, as a summer series I've been doing uh, people of the Bible whose names begin with a particular letter of the alphabet. So we begin with A and we've gone all the way through to the letter N. So we're dealing this summer with uh, those folks in the Bible whose names begin with N, obviously Noah falls into that category. But uh, his life spans a, a great deal of time, not only in terms of his age, but also in terms of, of Scripture. So this is the second of the sermons on Noah. Uh, we dealt more with Noah's lineage and his standing before God and the culture in which Noah lived in Uh, last Lord's Day evening, Uh, tonight we're going to deal more specifically with the flood itself and what are the lessons uh, to be learned from the flood. So Genesis 6 verse 11, let's hear the breathed out word of God. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. Finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Let's try the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, may it be with awe that we open your word this evening, Father. And will you be with Pastor Bob as he brings this word? Open our hearts, Father, that we will learn of your holiness, your justice, and also your mercy and your grace. And may we be in all all of that also, Father, And uh, we pray that you will open our hearts and our minds, that we will not leave this place unchanged, but with great expectation, Father, you'll work in our hearts. All this in the precious name of our Savior alone we pray. Amen. Amen. As we come to these chapters of Genesis, I don't think it's any news to you to say that these chapters today are often treated as simply legend, myth, or fairy tale that the events that are recorded for us in chapter 6, 7, 8 never really occurred. They didn't happen. That is often spoken of okay, in our world today and in various places of, of education, uh, particularly secular colleges. But as things would have it, it's not only in the secular realm, it's also in the spiritual realm Many churches no longer believe these truths that are found here, nor Christian so-called colleges advocate for their truth as well. Even as they have capitulated in the doctrine of creation, they have capitulated as well with beautiful testimony that God gives to us of his being and of his nature that is found in the flood as well. It is rather interesting, and one of the things that oftentimes you will hear from college professors or liberal writers in this regard will say, well, the, these events are, are some of the most recorded events in all cultures. You you trace back, and and most cultures somewhere have a flood story. There is some sort of story about some sort of huge event with water in which there is a boat, in which there is a man and his family that are saved. Now they go off in lots of extremes. They, they go off into the realm of fantasy. They go off into various avenues that are a distortion of the truth, and they use that as evidence to say, well, you see, everybody's got their own fairy tale about a flood. You Christians have your fairy tale about the flood as well. It's included in the fairy tale book of the Bible. And in that way, they seek to be dismissive, uh, particularly to those of you who might be Christian students attending such a class to in some way silence you and to keep you from speaking up for the rest of the class. That way, they can continue to advocate their other positions that are apart from the word of God. This is the way it happens, folks. This is the way it takes place. However, they forget one very important note. We're not here to argue that other cultures don't have a flood story. Yes, they do. But it's not the truth. Why? Because we know that after the flood... Mankind grows together, they build this Tower of Babel, and then there is the separation of peoples into all different languages, and all of these stories that have been collected as a whole that would have come through Noah and his three sons to all those who came afterwards are now dissipated and are lessened over the course of time because God was guarding the truth through his people Through that promised line. His word in that oral tradition is being guarded and protected over time. Until that word becomes the written word through Moses. So that which we have before us is truth. God's truth. God's witness to us of the events that took place during the life of Noah. And the question is, what does God want us to learn about this historical, factual, literal event that took place? Why does God include this? Why does he want us to know this event? And why does God want us to know the true event of that which took place? Well, let me place before you tonight three lessons for us to learn from the flood. One, in this flood, we learn of God's provisions. Secondly, we learn of God's power. And thirdly, we learn of God's purity. You see, if you can argue away a judgmental God, and I use the word judgmental in its right sense, If you can argue away that there was no flood, there was no God who punished sin, then you can live any way you want. You can have any sort of marriage relationship you want. You can do anything with the child that is in your womb. You can do anything you want, for there is no God of judgment. But as the story clearly portrays to us, God... Is a God of purity. But let's begin, first of all, with the fact that God is a God of provision. See, we we oftentimes, don't we, side on the fact of God come in judgment. He comes in judgment, yes. He destroys the world with a flood, yes. But there is another side to it, isn't it? There is God's grace. There is God's mercy. There is God's love. There is God's provision. Build an ark. There is a means that God gives to sinful people in the midst of a sinful world. He provides. This is a picture, you see. This provision of an ark is a picture that God gives of Christ. That's what the ark is. The ark is a picture for us of Jesus Christ, that in the midst of the pollution of society, the only thing that can save us, the only thing that can save Noah and his family is not Noah's righteousness. If Noah stands on the top of the tallest mountain in his own righteousness, he's going to be overwhelmed by a flood. He needs the ark, just as mankind, just as even we, as God's covenant people, need Christ. God provides. Look at verses 14 through 16. He provides the ark. Notice it's not Noah. <laughs> I'm going to destroy the world. Noah then says, God, should, it, should I build some sort of vessel to protect me? No, once again, salvation is, first of all, the act of God. It is not the will of man. It is not the thought of man. Here again, we, we see that, that salvation is fully of God. No, it's God who comes to Noah and says, build an ark. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. He tells him exactly what to do with it. He gives him the dimensions of it. How many of you have been down to Kentucky and visited the ark down in Kentucky? Quite a few of you, okay? Quite a few of you. I would imagine if if I ask all of you, what was the first thing you thought when you drove around the corner and saw that ark? Most of you would probably say it's a lot bigger than I ever thought it was, right? Because I can give you dimensions. I I can say, well, it's like this or it's like parking lot. and, And for some reason in our minds, it still gets short. It still gets small. It still looks like a little children's book with a little bitty boat in it rather than that mammoth structure. Build an ark. The other thing you probably think of when you see that replica is you think, well, this is plenty big. Not only is it big, but you also think, this is plenty big. That's right. That which God provides is plenty big. God provides us with a Christ who is plenty big to cover all our sin. Look at verse 18 of chapter 6. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. You shall come into the ark. Why? Because I have covenanted with you. God's provision. Seen in the building of this ark. But it's also seen in his care, or in his providing, or in the instructions that Noah is given regarding the animals. What, what I kind of you know in the back of my mind I go, yeah God told them to take animals in but it's like God is like reinforcing it. It's like over and over and over again. Note God reminds him to do this or commands him to do this chapter 6:19 through 20. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark. Keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Now go down to chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, male and its mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, a male and its mate. Seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. Go down to verses 8 and 9 of chapter 7. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and the birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. Go down to verses 14 and 15. Okay, Now they're in the ark. Notice what we read. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah. And and it just struck me how many times God records for us the fact that I'm providing not only this ark for you, Noah, and for your family, but I'm providing for these animals as well. I am not wiping them off the face of the earth. God's provision, God's grace, extended here, even to these animals. It's a picture for us. Remember that when uh, Jonah is to go into Nineveh and proclaim the word of God, Jonah comes with the judgment of God that everything, every living thing is going to be destroyed. And remember what the king did? king proclaims a fast. And who fasted? Not only the people, but the animals. And what happened God said okay I won't do so God's care not only for the people you and I in the image of God but his care for animals as well we see God's provision there is a lesson for us to be learned in this a lesson of a gracious merciful compassionate God there's no reason to spare animals Why would you spare animals? What would be the point of that? God who could just say more animals could have just put more animals on the earth. But he doesn't. There's something about the fact that he had created them, he had made them on that sixth, fifth, and fourth, fifth, and sixth day that God is unwilling to completely destroy from all the earth. And so he makes provision or even the animals of this world. But notice one more provision, verse 21 of chapter 6. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. I'm kind of glad God didn't say take with you just avocados. I'm really glad he didn't say take with you just onions. Take every kind of food, What a gracious God, right? What a God who provides, take with you every kind of food. Now, we have to to understand what does that mean to Noah? Well, to Noah, who is under the command yet of not shedding blood and not eating animal, it would mean take every kind of vegetable you can find, take every kind of grain you can find, and take every kind of fruit you can find. But what a providing God. Not just one thing, not just two things. All, all, take it all. Store it up. A God of abundance. I have come to give life, Jesus said, and to give it abundantly. See, the flood is a picture of a providing God. Secondly, the picture of the flood is a picture of a God of power, a God of power. We're going to be in chapter 7 now, verse 11. Four things, four things to point out. You, You know the story of the flood, I trust quite well, so I don't think I need to dwell upon these. But there are four things that stand out as far as God's power. Verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. See, we stand in error if we do not know the story well. If we are just telling people, well, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and that's what filled up the earth, that's not true. We don't know the story well. Because that's not what God told us. God didn't just... Fill it from the top. God filled it from the bottom. The earth with its store of water breaks forth. How many of you have a well? How many of you have a well? Right? Quite a few of you in our communities, right? Burst forth. How many years have some of you been pumping that water out of that well? 20 years? 30 years? 40 years? Same well? Still pumping water? Right? Right? We are told that there are huge lakes underneath the surface of the earth. God burst forth this water to fill the earth. The power Can you imagine hearing those explosions of earth, of rock? Can you imagine what the sound of that must have been like on the day that the flood begins? This earth opening up, these torrents of water. Power of God on display. But not only that, verse 11, the fountains of the great deep birth burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. What picturesque language, right? Imagine, okay, you're looking up at heaven, and here's this window, right? And the window is open, and the water above now, read it, the text. It's in the heavens, not heaven, okay? So it's, it's in the sky as if the sky. Some of you have been through some pretty torrential downpours in the last several weeks here, right? right. But I, I can tell you, it, it doesn't rain in Michigan like it rains in California. If you've ever been in California in the midst of a rainstorm, it is unbelievable, Okay? it is it is literally like the the windows of heaven just open and it just poof the power of all that water pouring down think of Niagara Falls pouring from the sky see we're 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 so limited in our thinking we're going it rained And how many times haven't we said, boy, it's rained three days. Boy, maybe we ought to prepare for a flood, right? Like, yeah, this whole drip drop stuff is going to fill the earth in 40 days. But it's because we're limiting the power of God. We think all that God did here in the flood was drip drop some rain. No, Niagara Falls of the skies were opened and it poured upon the earth. The fountains of the deep opened up such that we read the extent of this. Chapter 7, verse 12. And rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Go on to chapter 7, verse 17. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. Verse 18, the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. The ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. The tallest mountain of that day, Because I don't know if Mount Everest was there. So for me to say, it covered Mount Everest by 20... I don't know if Mount Everest was there in those days. I don't know the landscape of the earth at the time of the flood. But I knew no God's word. If Mount Everest was there, then it was covered by 22 feet of water. But whatever the highest peak was, whatever the tallest mountain was at the time of Noah, It's covered by 22 feet of water. The power in the extent of this flood. It's not a localized event. It's across the entire earth. Just step back and think of the power of God to do such. It is within the power of God to unleash those fountains. It is within the power of God to open those windows of the Niagara Falls of the heavens. It is within the power of God to cover the tallest mountain with water. But we see God's power not only in the water, but in the death it cost chapter 7 verse 21 and all flesh died that moved on the earth birds livestock beasts all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. Do you get it yet? If not, he wrote you another verse. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in Christ. Oh, I know it says Ark, but it's Christ. God's power. What protects us from that kind of power of God? What is it that protects us from the devastations that are brought upon the earth? Christ. So we read that glorious text of Romans 8, right? There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. Thirdly, a third lesson to be learned then from this is that we learn of God's purity. Because we have to ask the question, why is this all happening? Why does God send the flood in the first place? Why does this event happen? God is purging the earth of sin. Why? Because of what we just sang a few moments ago. God is holy. And the holiness of God brings about the purging. Go back into chapter 6. Chapter 6, 6 And seven, and the Lord God regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to the heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created on the face of the ground, on the face of the land, man and animals. Why? Because of verse five. Why are we at this point? Verse five, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Why? Because there is sin. Verses 11 through 13, the verses we read before. Why? Because there is violence upon the earth. God says, I'm going to purge the earth of this sin. I'm going to purge the earth of this violence. I'm going to purge the earth of this wickedness. Verse 17, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Everything shall die because of man's sinfulness. Did Noah deserve that too? Absolutely. Absolutely. Noah was not a perfect man. There's only one perfect man. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, Noah is like Isaiah of Isaiah chapter 6 as he has this glorious vision of the temple of God and the robe fills the temple and he sees those angels singing what? Our hymn. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And what is Isaiah's response? Oh, goody, I'm saved. Oh, goody, I get to see this. I'm one of those in. He says, Lord... I'm a man of unclean lips. I am undone. I too deserve to die. I too deserve condemnation. I too, in the purity of your holiness, I'm a sinful man. And the Lord takes that coal and seraphim bring it and put it upon his lips. It's a picture, again, God's providing salvation. It is Jesus who remarks upon this day and age in which the flood comes in Matthew chapter 24, saying that in the days of of Noah, when people were eating and drinking and not having a care in the world upon the judgment that was to befall them, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People will not have a care in the world about the judgment of God. In fact, let's argue it away. Let's not deal with a God who creates that we owe glory to. Let's not deal with a God who sends a flood as a purging of sin. Let's not do away with that. So what? We can eat and drink and do our own thing. We can live our own lives. That's our heart too, isn't it? It often is our own hearts. We too sin thinking ah, God won't care. My friends, the next time in your mind you think that you can commit any sin it, I hate using the word small but I'll use it just the comparison as small as you may think that sin is understand that God destroyed the entire world because of that sin sin has no place in the eyes and the sight of God and we like Isaiah need to cry out Oh God I am a man of unclean lips I am undone See, that's what the flood reminds us of. The judgment of God. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Pick it up with me at verse five, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought what? A flood upon the world of the ungodly. If By turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented in his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. What does the flood teach us? That God is a God of holiness and that sin cannot stand in his sight. So that as his son hangs upon the cross, he cannot even look upon his son because his son carries with him you're in my sin the father has to turn his face away my god my god why have you forsaken me go back with me to first peter or excuse me go to second peter chapter 3 peter brings this up again second peter chapter 3 Knowing that first, verse 3, excuse me, knowing that first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact. Now look at the fact. The fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. What is the lesson that God would have us learn from the flood? God that punishes sin. And yet at the same time, at the same time, we learn of God's purity and His judgment upon sin, His purging of sin. We learn of His protection of the righteous. Three times in chapter 7. We learn of God's protection. Go back with me to seven, Genesis 7. The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Go to verse 16. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God has commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. beautiful thing God did. Because you know what I'd be thinking? Did we shut the door tight? Did, did you shut the door? Did, did somebody shut the door? Did somebody lock the door? Did somebody coat that door? Is the door really shut? David, go check that thing again, right? As it rains day three, go check the door again, would you? Right? We'd be always on About the door. Look at God's protection. And the Lord shut the door. Is there anything that can take you from the Father's hand? Is there anything that can take you from the protection of the Father? Is there any way that you can be snatched from the Father's hand? The Lord shuts the door. He not only provides the salvation, he shuts the door. And then look at verse 23 of chapter 7. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals, creeping things, birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. God's protection. You know, the first reference that that Peter makes of the flood and of Noah is in 1 Peter chapter 3, 19 through 22. Just take it down. You know what he references there? He references that the ark is a picture of our baptism into Christ. He says, as Noah is protected from the deluge of the flood by being in the ark, That was a picture that God was giving of our baptism into Christ. Being baptized into Christ. As we hear so often, it's a reminder that God's name is on us. And God's protection is there. As his covenant people That's what Noah is. That's what his sons are. That's what his sons' wives are. See, and it's in that context that you and I need to hear this psalm. It's Psalm 46. God is our refuge Strength. A very present help in the time of trouble. Do you think Noah's saying that? Day 10, day 20. I think Noah's Noah understands this, right? God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is our refuge and strength. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her. When morning dawns, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. What's happening in the flood? Exactly this. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. What are all those things? Violence. What filled the earth? Violence. But what did God do? God stopped it. Said enough is enough. Come behold the works of the Lord. Yeah. Consider the flood. Come behold the works of the Lord. And then be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fort. Life has not been kind to some of you. But you have an ark. You have Christ. And God now says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is filled with all sorts of events and circumstances that sometimes, from our perspective, are hard for us to understand and to grasp. And yet, Lord, in the events of this flood, we see your truth of Christ. We see your power. We see your covenant blessing so that even when the world around us seems to be falling apart, maybe when our own individual lives seem to be falling apart, you come to us with your gracious word, your comforting word, your compassionate word. Be still. And know, I'm God. The God of power. God of protection. The God who has provided you with a Savior. And it's in His name we pray. And God's people say, Amen.